Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from the southern edge of northern Alberta, Canada. Episode 10, Retirement Planning. Happy May long weekend to all my fellow Canadians. And to the Americans, hope your Memorial Day long weekend next weekend is wonderful. And to everyone else, hope you're able to celebrate a long weekend of your own in May. I am on an enforced, lazy, long weekend, where I'm not doing much besides spindling, working on my homework, supervising Mike moving back into the house, and icing my hips at regular intervals. It seems a waste of a long weekend. Funny how that one extra day off of work inspires cramming as much as possible into a weekend. There are people out camping, and up here, the Maylong is dodgy for camping at the best of times. There are people gardening, doing outdoor renovations, some are traveling, and I think the soccer teams using the field I'd back have played a full tourney today. It's no wonder that the short weeks back at work feel so long. We've shoehorned enough activity into three days. To get us through at least four. What would I have liked to do this weekend? Sweep the deck, clean out our little garden to get ready for planting soon, clean the basement. I'm itching to tidy that spring cleaning urge. Spin, take the tratty out onto the deck and work on the green braid. Homework, the spinning part of it anyway. Instead, I'm trying to be happy with a little bit of spindling as much essay writing as my hips can handle sitting for, and podcasting. But really, besides that extra day, how is this weekend any different from any other? Any other weekend I'd be happy with a bit of spindling, writing, and podcasting. It'd be a perfectly normal, perfectly productive weekend. Why does the addition of a little bit of extra free time seem to require us to do things that are abnormal or extraordinary? It reminds me of a few years ago, when, for our staff in service at work, we had a gentleman come in to speak to us about retirement planning. Not the financial aspect, but the living aspect. So many people, he said, want to do things when they retire. I'll travel, they say, or write a book, or learn a new skill that interests me. I'll do these things when I have time, after I retire. That's a mistake, he said. Live your life now as you want your life to be when you retire. Don't wait. He had us do an exercise where we wrote our retirement business card. My business card read, Spinner. On the porch, of all places. We don't even have a porch right now, but there it is. So I've chosen to live my life like that. There's the Master Spinner program. There's the podcast and the blog. I am not waiting until I have time to learn to be a spinner. I make time for it, right now. The leg troubles have given me some time to think, and to miss spinning. The traddy is still sitting in the living room, and I look at it every day, evaluating if I can sit down at it for a bit, and deciding not to. I've been spindling quite a bit more as a result, and the knitting hasn't been left to the side either. I know at some point my legs will get better, but I may have to be careful with them going forward. But I can accept that. My retirement card can still say, Spinner, on the porch. 
I'll perhaps add eccentric knitter to that description as well. I don't think I'm quite ready for a rocking chair yet, though. The choice to live my life as I want to retire wasn't hard. The hard part is scraping out the time for those choices. In a way, I'm lucky that spinning and knitting can both be portable activities. Between spindles and socks, I can always have something with me to occupy my time and hands. I have a friend who's learning pottery. Her time constraints are much more difficult than mine. But she's setting up a used pottery wheel in her garage this weekend, and I hope that she's able to throw a whole bunch of things in the extra day this weekend gives her. I was spindling outside at lunch this week, and one of my co-workers asked me what I was doing. Making yarn, I said, and showed them. I've always wanted to learn to do that, said the other. I was going to learn when I retire. Don't wait that long, I said. I can teach you. So I'm bringing her a loner spindle and some Corydale on Tuesday. She's already sent me a few emails about wheels on Kijiji. I'm happy to help. If she'd waited until she'd retired, she'd miss out on all this fun. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. Fiber Week's coming up pretty fast. With all the appointments I've been to, it's been a bit difficult to even sit down at the computer and work on the essays, but I have managed to finish off the essays for Module D2, which is the the wheel mechanics. I got just over a page about how the introduction of the foot treadle and the flyer and bobbin mechanism changed the way we spin. And then, of course, the differences between the three types of flyer mechanisms, the bobbin lead, the flyer lead, and the double drive. So that's all finished. I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, It won't take me very long to finish off the plying techniques for Module D1, which I will do tomorrow. And then there's just a few more essays to do. So that's where I'm at with the level two. I've spun up a full spindle for my level three supplies, the dyeing supplies. I don't know how much is on there yet, but I'll go into that a little in a little more detail later in the episode. And then, yeah, once the essays are done, I'm going to start blending up a few things. I'm, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that I'm not going to have my homework finished for fiber week. The legs are still bad. Um, I'm, I'm having real trouble even just sitting to get through a day. And I, I actually have anti-inflammatories from the doctor now. So just got to keep working on it. Physio again next week and, and just keep going from there. So that's where I'm at with my homework. Not a great update, not a very long update, but, uh, but there you have it. Yeah, we're down to very few things to talk about for level one as well. So uh, what I've pulled out is the module C1, which is about twist. Twist is magic. Twist is the magic that makes spinning happen. Any yarn. And even if you don't spin, it's it's well worth knowing how twist works. So twist is like glue. Twist holds the individual strands together and gives strength to, uh, to any yarn. So there are high twist yarns and there are low twist yarns. Low twist yarns are obviously not as strong because they're not as twisted together more fiber ends are available for abrasion. Things like a, a Malabrigo 
uh, a Malabrigo worsted, notorious for pilling, low twist, singles yarn. Your high twist yarns have more strength, so you're looking for high twist yarns in socks. I think socks that rock is a very high twist sock yarn. So if you if you actually look at it, you can definitely see. So the higher twist, as a general rule, you're going to have a, a higher tensile strength yarn. It's also going to be harder in the hand. You know, it's, it's going to feel harder because it's all tightly squished together. So you have to balance. You have to understand how twist works so that as a spinner, you can balance, you know, how much twist is going to be in your yarn. In level one, they ask you to detail Z twist and S twist. And just so that you, they know that you understand that when you spin your wheel one way, you're going to get a specific kind of twist. And when you spin your wheel the other way, you're going to get the opposite twist. You need to understand this because, for example, when you ply something, you ply it in the opposite direction from it was spun. So you need to know which way it was spun to be able to ply appropriately. And again, you know, the twist plays a huge role in that. So your S twist is when your drive wheel or spindle goes in a clockwise motion. And it's uh, not S, Z, Z twist. And you can kind of figure that out because if you actually write a Z, your pen goes in a clockwise or to the right. And that's for that first stroke. And that gives you your Z twist. S twist is the opposite, counterclockwise. And if you write an S, your pen goes in a counterclockwise motion. So it's important to know, you know, how to create each type of twist and how they work together. Um, and you get into something like um, Anderson's, uh, what's it called? Spinner's Book of Yarn Designs. And it's important to know, especially for cabled yarns, which way um, that your twist is running so that you can play with it. Playing with twist is fun. So as a spinner and even as a knitter, it's important to understand how twist works in making yarn and how twist is the structure of the yarn that we use. So that's that's a basic rundown on twist and a basic rundown on where I am with my homework. And that brings us two weeks closer to Fiber Week. Fiber notes. You know, it's amazing what happens when you decide to be a little bit more monogamous with your projects. I have gotten quite a few things done over the last couple of weeks. I have finished off the spat socks. I finished off a baby sweater. I finished off um, the burp claws that I needed to finish off. And, and I have a full spindle of yarn. And that's a pretty good total for having to run to physio twice a week, chiro massage, and after most of those appointments, just being able to sit on the couch and stare into space. So I'm pretty pleased. Spat socks are done. Uh, they, I'm wearing them right now. They're, they're soft and cushy and blue and make me smile. So that is a good thing. My sock needle is free, but I have not cast anything on yet. I'm still thinking about that. Now, there's a few more things I need to be monogamous to before I cast on for something new. The baby sweater, it was, I decided on the February baby sweater. 
Wow, that was brilliant. Elizabeth Zimmerman, I tell ya. Sometimes I wonder how she sees these things. Or if she's just writing down the things that were common knowledge a while back. Because she did say that with the February baby sweater, it was her take on the typical one needle or two needle baby sweater. So obviously there were people doing this beforehand. But but it's awesome because, you know, you, you just you just knit it and then there's sleeves and and it's magic. Of course, you know, with an Elizabeth Zimmerman pattern, there's all kinds of holes in the pattern. She doesn't mention buttonholes until uh, about you're halfway down the body when you should be doing them from all the way from the top. She doesn't mention anything about casting off the sleeves. She simply assumes that you know that you're supposed to. But you know what? It was thrilling. It was fun. And and I had a lot of fun making it. I had the fer- perfect buttons in my stash. There were two of them for three buttonholes. So I had to go out and buy some more. But I found buttons that were a little better, I think, than the ones that were from my stash. And then I, I gently killed it because it was acrylic. The last time I killed something, I slaughtered it. So I was really careful this time. And I think, you know, it's okay. I tossed it in the wash and it came out just fine. So really pleased with it. That's getting sent off here. I'll do that tomorrow. And then I'm just moving on again to the sweater. I got a couple inches done on the sweater sleeves here over the last couple of weeks as well. All the deck knitting that I partook in. And I'm finished with the increasing. So now it's just straight through until I decide the sleeves are long enough. And I'm probably about four or five inches away from the sleeves being long enough. And then, and then... I'll be piecing together my first sweater, which will be thrilling. So yeah, that'll be my next big project, knitting project to take with me places. And, and I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to, that's the one knitting project I'm going to work on. I'm going to cart that around places. I have a full spindle of yarn, which I will talk about after the next segment. And that is the Fiber Notes update. Fiberside Chat. I had time this week to connect for an interview with Lana Cunningham. Lana is an author. She's written two books, one which has knitting patterns in it as part of a a testimonial about how fiber arts can help through times of great stress. The second book, which has just come out, is A Beginner's Guide to Supported Spindling. And I'm, I've never supported spindled before, but I'm very interested to give it a try because I just love spindles. And I really wanted to touch base with Lana and have her talk about her book and find out a bit more about what got her interested in writing a book about supported spindling. So here we go. Here's a Fiberside Chat with Lana Cunningham. Well, I am on Skype with Lana Cunningham. She is an author of two books. Uh, The newest one that came out is a book on supported spindling. And she's also well known in the uh, Edmonton area as the Wheel Whisperer. So thank you, Lana, for agreeing to be interviewed on the podcast today. It's my pleasure, Vanessa. 
So let's start with the books. You've just put out your second book, but maybe we'll we'll cover the first book really quickly. Sure. Uh, my first book came out last year. It's called Just Keep Knitting, A Journey of Healing Through Forgiveness, Faith, and Fiber. Um, it's essentially the story of a messy life that turned out okay in the end with a lot of fiber involved in the cleanup. I was uh, felled with delayed post-traumatic stress disorder in the early days of 2011 mm -hmm. and found that by telling my story and doing a bunch of knitting projects that went with my story, I found my way towards a much better place. Oh, that's good. It's and, much better to be in a better place. Yeah. Oh, I like better places. So you've you've sold a few copies of this book. There are five patterns in it, six? Seven. One for every chapter, I think so. Yeah, six or seven. Yeah. I knit the uh, I knit the heart seas for my mother in law and that was that was a really nice it was nice and simple but but yet it was really it just worked. All of the patterns in it were designed to be simple because at the time I was not doing so well mentally and counting more than about seven was going to be too much of a challenge. So it all had to be something you could work on without too much stress, but it mm -hmm. needed to, when it was finished, I didn't want it to look like, you know, easy to knit. It yeah. needed to look really stylish and fancy. So they all come out looking like they were way harder than they are actually are to work on. Well, and that's and that's that's kind of handy. It's it's always nice to have something to go. Oh, that must have taken you so much work. Yes, <laughs> yes, it actually did. Like the Rice Krispie Squares commercial. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Throwing the flower in her face and looking like she suffered so much to make these. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my design philosophy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> make it look harder than it is. Yeah. So that was the first book, and you've just put out a new book. Yes, the Rookie's Field Guide to Supported Spinning. So, what made you decide to to uh, write this book? Well, I was uh, I was talking with Mizpah of Bristlecone Artisan Heirlooms, who make the wonderful Glindle spindles, mm -hmm. and somehow it just I don't know it just occurred to me that that uh, there was a gap in the market, and I should I should write the book that filled it. Okay, what kind of gap? Well, there is, of course, Flegel's fabulous book, uh, which goes into great detail about the history of supported spinning and has mm -hmm. reviews of the different kinds of spindles that are out there right now. Um, but when I started, it, it wasn't, it didn't actually come out until after I learned to spin supported. Okay. But uh, at, it, it has a lot of videos and stuff, and so when she released it as an ebook, she couldn't release it as an ordinary ebook. It comes out on a USB key. Oh, which is really awesome. You get this USB key and it's all labeled and stuff. It's very cool. Okay. And it has a lot of detailed information, but it's just too much for someone who maybe isn't sure if this is what they want to do or not. Okay. The print copy was also priced very high because it has absolutely stunning, gorgeous photography in it, but mm -hmm. it costs money. So I wrote the book that I wished I had when I started, which was just tell me what these pretty sticks are, how they work, and what am I, just get me started. Just give me right. enough to get me started because I'm not even sure if I'm going to like this. Okay. And I did, when I first started, when I started supported spindling, what happened is I saw a bristlecone glindle. Mm -hmm. Then I was done. <laughs> I saw the picture and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's so pretty. That's the problem with spindles, isn't it? <laughs> so pretty how do you use it i'm like it's a stick with a glass ball on the bottom and you put it in a dish huh how do you, what how do you make string with this i was yeah. so confused and i tried valiantly i managed for like two months 
mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to ignore it. And I kept going back and looking at them and going back and looking at them. I'm like, oh, forget it. I'm going to have to learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. So I went and I did a little bit of research, and I found a bunch of stuff that said you could make your own spindles, which you totally can. But I was afraid to make my own because what if I made a crappy spindle and it didn't spin well, and then I thought it was my fault, right? Like, right. Your tools do have to be basically functional. So part of the Rookie's Field Guide is how to make a spindle and how to test and see that it's going to work. Ah, that's handy. Basic QA, yes. My my former profession, I used to be a QA professional, so (laughs) that part showed up. Mm -hmm. Because you really should test any spindle that you get, whether it's been made by someone else or made by you. Exactly. Just to know, is this going to work? And... uh, and then just the basics of, of how to draft and how to spin and then what you do for plying and that. So, and, and I wanted to make sure that it would fit in a lower price range. Right. So under 20 bucks, that was the objective. So it had to stay small enough that we could get it printed and mailed for under 20 bucks. Oh, okay. That was, that was key. So it doesn't have like a big extensive history and, mm-hmm. and I will not review spindles because, um, it is my rather firmly held opinion, not at all humble, <laughs> that there is an alchemy between the spinner and the tool. Right. And what's important is that you get the match. Mm-hmm. So the spindle that's perfect for me would not necessarily be the spindle that's perfect for you. Right. Our bodies are different. And the coolest thing, I was at Fiber Week mm-hmm. last year, and I was standing at the table with uh, Carolyn Sommerfeld and all her beautiful spindles out there. Mm-hmm. And... I, you pick one up and you spin it. You pick another one up and you spin it. They're identical design, turned by the same guy, different woods. Oh. And one of them feels perfect and one of them doesn't. And Caroline is, I swear, she is the Ollivander of spindles. She <laughs> knows. She watches you spin on two or three of them and then she goes, here, try this one. And it just works perfectly. <laughs> She's amazing. Cool. I highly recommend going to see her in person if you're not sure about this whole spinning thing because she totally knows. And she also has a book out about supported spindling uh, with exotic fibers that's very useful and very good. It's um, She sells them on Etsy, I believe. Okay. I'll have to find a, I'll find a link to that and put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. And uh, and so she's, I mean, she's an expert at this. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm just a beginner, but you know me. I want to share the fun things I've learned how to do. <laughs> we all want to share those things. Why do you think I'm podcasting? Very dust of inspiration over people's heads and then leave them to figure out the rest on their own. That's just, I get people started. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, what exactly. I like. So that's what this book does. It'll get you started. And then the rest, really, it's a matter of doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Sit down with a spindle and make string. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about. I do that a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love of supported spinning because I find it easy on the body. Mm-hmm. This is not true for everyone, but a lot of people have actually told me that they can spin supported when they were no longer able to use a treadle wheel because they had leg issues or whatever, because mm-hmm. obviously you don't need your legs for this. Yeah. Um, but also people have, have told me that they find it easier than drop spindling because there's a little less upper body movement and so a little less strain on the shoulder mm-hmm. than the way that most people use for their drop spindles. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find that it's a little more contained. I can do this in my recliner. I can't drop spindle in the recliner. I'm no. short. There, I don't have enough room. To <laughs> By the time I have the spindle hanging down and my arm up over my head, I've got, you know, four inches of yarn. I can't get a decent. Yeah. But with the supported spindle, I can set it beside me, mm-hmm. and then I can actually draft all the way out across my body to the length of my arm span. Mm-hmm. 
so I get a nice long strand of yarn. But I don't need any more space than that. I can do it sitting in the recliner with my head supported, which is really important when I'm feeling very fatigued. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I can still spin. Even when I'm too tired to do anything else, I can still spin. And even when my brain's too baked to even count to seven and knit something simple, yeah, <laughs> I can still spin. That And that's good. So I don't have a supported spindle yet, and I think I really do need to... We're going to have to fix that. Yeah, I know we are. We have to get together anyway. So I'll come and see you, and I'll bring you one. i got a few here. Just a few? (laughs) Just a couple? Yeah, just a few. Just a couple. You're not getting my glindle, though. No, uh, I'll have to to look at that myself eventually. They're so beautiful. But you could make your own, see? That's the cool thing. Yes. I'll need to give your book for that, though. It works really well. Mm -hmm. All you need. Because you just need... It's basically... Think about um, a spinning top. You know, like the kid's toy? Yeah. Take that, elongate the handle. Mm-hmm. That's a sported spindle, right? So mm-hmm. any kind of sharpened center stick that you can affix some kind of a whorl to mm-hmm. needs to have a sharp point top and bottom. Whorl needs to fit nicely and, you know, not wobble and that kind of thing. Yeah, friction fit. Friction fit works great. Um, those little um, those stone discs that you can get. Mm-hmm from, like, uh, the gem store or whatever. Yeah. You can put the rubber grommets in the middle of those. Oh, yeah. And then slide a DPN through the middle. Hey, that works. Yep, that works. There's also um, a spindle called a, a, okay, it's a strange-sounding name. It's a Pong. It's mm-hmm. P-H-A-N-G, but it's not pronounced Fang, even though that's kind of how it looks. It's a Tibetan word. Okay. And these are, um, there's actually, that's what's on the cover of the book. There's a picture of one that a friend of mine made for me. Mm-hmm. And you can make them, they're just like whittled sticks. Okay. You take a stick, like mm-hmm. from outside, and you whittle it so that it's got a bulge about a third of the way from the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then tapers to two sharpened ends. Okay. Doesn't have to be fancy, doesn't have to be perfect. She does them with a pocket knife. Not lathe turned. Nothing special. That's pretty cool. They're very cool, and uh, and they spin beautifully. They make they're really nice for doing slightly heavier yarns because mm-hmm. they're a little thicker. Yeah, but yeah, one of the really awesome things about spinning supported is that is the kind of control that you have over your yarn because there is no weight pulling on the yarn at all ever. Mm-hmm. So you can do sort of finer yarns. You can do very fine yarns, which is why Caroline's uh, stuff focuses on the exotic fibers. Mm-hmm. The cashmere, uh, the camel, the cashmere, the camel, the bison. Mm-hmm. And that is often said that that's what these spindles are for. Oh, okay. That and cotton. And they, they do put in high twist, and so they do tend towards finer yarns. Mm-hmm. But um, it's the hands of the spinner that make the most difference. Mm-hmm. And so I've spun lumpy, bumpy, textured singles on my supported spindles from, from like, textured bats with silk chunks in them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You can do it. I don't recommend starting with that, but... <laughs> certainly do it yeah. um, and and it's quite the enjoyable experience really mm-hmm. so it just depends what you want I almost always spin from the fold when I'm spinning supported mm-hmm. although yeah because I'm a woolen spinner and, and supported spinning is a one-handed drafting thing right you're right you go one hand it's very busy twirling the spindle mm-hmm. and the other hand is working on the fiber and so spinning from the fold works really well for that yeah Not- and any and any semi woolen prep because you're allowing the twist into the drafting triangle. You're allowing the twist in, yeah. Now, if you watch um, Legal's videos on YouTube, you'll see that she almost always 
uh, she does a supported long draw, essentially. Mm-hmm. She uses spindles that will spin on their own, like a top, for a long time. Really long, really stable spin. Okay. And then, so she starts the spindle and then reaches up to the yarn, like she just leaves the spindle going. And then she has two hands to draft. Okay. Which is really quite cool. But to do that, you do have to have spindles that can hold their spin for a long time. Right. And that can balance. And that can stay balanced. Yeah. Now, I I like really light spindles. I have very small hands. I'm mm-hmm. not very strong. And I like really light spindles, and I don't mind doing that constant flick. Mm-hmm. So I, one of the really cool things I discovered when I went to write down how you do this mm-hmm. was that what I'm doing is it's sort of like a hyperspeed park and draft. Okay. Flick draft, flick draft, flick draft, flick draft. <laughs> okay. But unlike on a like on a drop spindle, when you do park and draft, you go spin, mm-hmm. inch, change position, draft, 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 draft. Yeah. Scroll a little bit, wind on, and it, so it's this very discreet process, and and you do all the steps, and then you just repeat all the steps. But you could kind of someone could watch you and go one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. You could not. You couldn't tell if you watch me <laughs> because right. it, it all blurs together. Mm-hmm. Because what what really it's, it's really cool as you go to flick the spindle, you're holding it. You've gripped onto the spindle mm-hmm. just before you give it that flick. At that point, you're supported for your long draw. You can tug against the spindle because you're holding it with your other hand. Okay. So the spindle doesn't have to stand up against the tension of my drafting mm-hmm. because I'm holding onto it. Right. And so. You as you pinch it to get ready to flick it, you do the draft because then you you can tug against it, right? Mm-hmm. Then you flick it and that puts the twist in. And then as you go to give it the next flick, you move your drafting hand again. Okay. It works, and you break it down and you do it very slowly at the beginning. But it doesn't take very long for those movements to just kind of blend into this single flow. No, it, it's about muscle memory. Like I mean, that's the same with with uh, even. Um, drop spindling. Yes. Suspended spindling. Because oh. you, you do the park and draft, and then one day you, you look around and you haven't parked. <laughs> Wait a minute. I forgot to break. break exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's about the muscle memory, so. And the, the hardest thing when you're adapting to supported spindling from other kinds of spindling mm-hmm. is getting the flick. It's yeah. a completely different set of muscle motions. It's sort of like snapping your fingers, but backwards. Okay. Because you just roll it. Mm-hmm. Your middle finger over your thumb, or your two fingers over your thumb, or whatever works, really. Mm-hmm. But it can take a little while to get the hang of getting the spindle to roll. Mm-hmm. And so, important to set those expectations that just because you're an excellent wheel spinner or drop spindler, this can take a little while. When I first started, I was like, okay, I do long draw all the time, right? I spin on, on a wheel, I spin long draw constantly, this will be no problem. And I'm I'm trying to spin on my supported spindle, and my spindle keeps falling over, and my yarn's falling apart. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Well, yeah, I actually do supported long draw at my wheel. Oh, that would do it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually do use my forward hand mm-hmm. all the time to tug against. And so once I kind of processed that, I actually switched to a fiber prep that was even looser. Because I'm like, okay, no problem, right? I, mm-hmm. I, all the stuff I spin on my wheel long draw, I can use that on my spindles. I can now, but when I started, uh-uh, it had to be way, way, way looser than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is actually like the merino silk, like that Ashford merino silk. Oh, yeah. Spun from the fold? Well, spun from the fold over your finger because it just, 
it just spins itself. Oh, yeah. That stuff is so beautifully prepped. It just kind of, ooh, just flows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, there, there's this combination, this, this perfect alchemy between spinner and tool and prep. Yep. You know, and that's where I think, because I'm doing all my woolen spinning from stuff I've prepped, and I'm sure I'm not doing it very well because, because again, it's a practice thing. But you make awesome so. legs. I've seen them. Yeah, I, I, it, again, but I think sometimes it depends. I've made really good Rolex out of medium fleece, mm. but I just can't seem to get really good ones out of fine fleece. Uh, yeah, for fine fleece, I prefer to comb and spin from the fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vastly. So. Yeah. So I guess that's the kind of a rundown on your on your new book then. And yes. where is this available? It is available from my website, which is applejackcreek.com. Okay. And there's also a forum on Ravelry. Okay. Called the Rookies Field Guide. Okay. To supported spinning, so we're easy to find. Mm-hmm. Where there are videos, so we have like a video thread where there's links to people's favorite videos and places mm-hmm. to ask questions and the oh help, what am I doing wrong or okay that kind of thing. Good. And how much is the book? The hard copy is nineteen ninety five, mailed anywhere at all. Okay. So we stayed under our twenty bucks. Oh yes, and it's also available in ebook format from it's distributed now, so it's like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Your favorite ebook retailer should have it. If not, there's a link to Smashwords, which is my ebook publisher okay. off my website, and there it is six ninety five. Awesome. If you have an e reader of any kind, it's even cheaper. I bet. And if you buy the ebook first and then decide that you want a hard copy, mm-hmm. you get a discount on the hard copy. Oh, very nice. And you will be at Fiber Week. I will be at Fiber Week in the Flannelberry Creek Shop. Awesome. And I will have copies there. Excellent. Of both my books, actually. Good. And I'm sure you will you will take autograph requests. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> I love signing books for people. It's still all I don't know, important and author like. Oh, that's good. <laughs> It's so much fun. I love being able to do this. Good. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to have you on the show today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And we will we'll touch base closer to Fiber Week. Absolutely. We're going to get to that spindle. We are. We got to I've got to practice. Side bet. So in honor of getting to episode 10, in honor of getting into double digits with the podcast, I thought I would have another side bet contest. This time around, it's going to be a guess the yardage contest. I've just finished up plying the two uh, Polworth cops that I've spun up for my level three dyeing homework. And I was looking at it going, I wonder how much yardage I have there. And then I thought this would be a perfect side bet. So I'm going to take a picture of my spindle before I wind it off. I'll uh, I'll toss a quarter under the yarn so you can get a feel for the weight. And yeah, put a put a guess with your yardage on as a comment on this uh, this episode's post on my blog, or in the thread on Ravelry that I'll start. Guess should be in yards, not meters. But if it's in meters, I can do a conversion. And whoever's closest without going over is going to win a prize. I'll stash dive for something. I'll head downstairs probably tomorrow morning when I can stumble my way down there a little easier and find something. I'll post a picture of the prize as well. The contest will close at midnight, Mountain Daylight Savings Time, 
on June 1st. The next episode is due out on June 2nd, so we'll close it right before then. I'll announce the winner in the next episode, and I'll let you know how much yardage I ended up getting. So that is going to be the side bet in honor of episode 10. By the wayside. Well, I did it. I finished the gazebo, and it looks awesome. It didn't take any time at all. It was all straight lines for the outlining and big and easy pieces to fill in for the uh, for the rest of it. It looks great. I love it. I don't know what I'm going to move on to yet. The, the bird at the bottom is kind of calling my name, but so is the sort of centaur-type creature at the top. And I, I would kind of like to work on a bit of the navy blue, because I know that the navy blue is what's used the least. It was one of the hardest colors to get, and so it would have been used very sparingly. And then I was taking a look at the picture, and I realized that the front horse is green. Like, dude, a green horse! That's so awesome! So I have one to work on the horse, too. Anyway, we'll see where it takes me this week, but I'm really pleased to have the gazebo finished. It, it makes me really feel like I'm making progress now. So so that's where I am with the with the tapestry. And we'll see what the next two weeks brings. We'll see which, which piece of it I feel like working on. Thank you for joining me for episode 10. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 11 on June 2nd, 2013. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion in our group on Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at ness, as in Loch Ness, at bythefiberside.com. Thanks again for listening. This is by the fiber side.